0: Hi, hi and hello, this is Kundai, and you're listening to Medics Motive. This is the next episode in the HLA conference series, so firstly thank you to the sponsors the MDU and Medics Academy. In this episode, I was with Arash, who is a junior doctor currently doing a clinical fellowship program with NHS Improvement. Keep on listening for a conversation on the highly sought-after skill set that medicine provides us on clinical leadership working in health policy and research and more about what you guys can do to get involved in all these areas i hope you guys enjoyed this episode i really took a lot from it so we're just going to jump straight in hey guys you're listening to medics motive and this is kundai with arash yes hi could i ask you to introduce yourself please? it's a bit about yourself and what you're doing at the moment
1: so my name is arash yasai last year i was an f2 doctor mm-hmm. and this year i'm a national medical director's clinical fellow where I'm working at NHS Improvements, looking at the delivery of seven-day services. That's a programme for one year, and after that year, I'm gonna go back into training, and I'm currently applying for paediatrics specialty training.
0: Okay, so firstly, why did you go into medicine?
1: Gosh, it seems so long ago. Um, There were a few things I was considering, if I'm honest, as as I was 18. I was considering doing maths, I was considering doing PPE, and I was considering doing medicine. For me, medicine symbolised two things. One, the career itself and the subject itself is incredibly fascinating. It's incredibly interesting. And yes, a six year degree is long, but it gives you such an opportunity to go on and do so many other things. But the other thing in my mind was I realised that actually, even if I didn't want to go on and do clinical practice, if I changed my mind, at the very least, I'd leave university with an incredibly competitive degree, a degree that basically showed that I could evaluate evidence in literally life or death situations. Mm. that I could communicate with a whole range of people around incredibly complicated issues and that I was able to do really on-the-ball, sharp, acute task management prioritisation. Really important, generic skills that any organisation would want to to have on their team. Mm. As it turns out, I've done it, I've really enjoyed it, I've stayed on. Um, But what I've really liked doing since pretty much the early stages of medical school is getting involved with medical leadership, getting involved with organisations at a national level, getting involved in policy, research, teaching, education. These aren't things that I necessarily knew about at the beginning when I started my career, mm. but now where I am where I am, they're the things I definitely enjoy the most about my career as an early career leader.
0: So is this where your interest in PPE goes into your career?
1: Not really, to be honest, in that I, I enjoyed PPE because I loved understanding the world and debating and discussing and learning lots of things. And actually, you can do the same thing when it comes to healthcare policy. Mm. Um, there's a huge amount of innovation that's going on. There are really big debates about the, the structure of the NHS, how we fund it, how we deliver it, um, moving care from a doctor centred to a patient centred one. There's, there's big questions about politics, history, geography, the economics of healthcare, they're all things that we need to learn a bit more about. But it's, it's the interest that I have in healthcare itself rather than in those topics that's really driven me to get involved in this because you realise there's so much of a difference that you can make once you've understood those issues really well. There are really big debates that are ongoing that we need to be shaping as, as clinicians, we need to be driving that discussion. And that's something that I've, I've really realised over the past couple of years and something that I really want to get more and more involved with as time goes on.
0: Mm, that's quite interesting, actually, the whole reason to go into medicine. A lot of us go into it with an angle of becoming a doctor, but I guess you put in more emphasis as well as being a doctor, but on the skills that you gain from training to become a doctor. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, I ultimately see being a doctor as you, you're an individual who is there to, to help people and to get them back to where they want to be. No one comes into hospital because they want to come into hospital, they're there because they want, they have a problem and you need to solve it. Yeah. And for me, a lot of the stuff about healthcare leadership is about taking that same principle and those same skills of evaluating evidence and communicating with people of of building teams and building consensus going forward, Mm. but applying that on a really big scale to to help doctors themselves do that day-in to day-out clinical practice delivery. Mm. Um, I still want to be a practicing clinician because I think it's something that I really enjoy on a day-to-day level, but it's also really important to to have that grounded reality of what's going on on the shop floor. Um, But the experiences that I've had at national organizations, particularly now that I'm able to take a year out to, to dedicate myself to building those skills, are things that i've realized you you can make a huge difference and it's really valuable to have clinicians involved in that decision making it really enhances the decision making and it really enhances the delivery of patient care not just for the person in front of you but for thousands and millions of people across the entire country and in some cases abroad as well
0: yeah definitely i think it's very important like like you said for policy makers to be clinicians because then you see from the ground up what needs to be changed absolutely like a top-down approach where you can assume and most of the time you can do so accurately, but it's not always the best way to do things. Um, Is this what you'll be speaking about at the conference?
1: I'm going to be talking about that quite a bit, but the real focus of what I want to talk about is how individuals at an early stage in their career can get involved in leadership and the sort of things that they need to be thinking about to enhance their chances of getting a leadership post, um, but also making the most of a leadership post once they've got in the role. I think there is a really big opportunity now that we've raised the profile of clinical leadership to professionalize it a lot more and get people to think about it in the same way that they would about their clinical practice. Mm. Um, The principles are the same. It's about learning, it's about applying yourself, it's about challenging yourself, I think that sometimes we don't do that enough in clinical leadership. It may well be because we're not taught to do that in medical school, Mm. but it's something that I found really useful through the opportunities that I've had. And it's also, sometimes I've I've realized looking back at things I've done, which weren't so successful, the reason for that was because I kept forgetting some really basic principles and some really basic rules. And it's those rules that I think what I've found to be really important, that I'm going to share with people, at the conference. Oh,
0: okay. Would you mind sharing with us one of those basic rules?
1: Absolutely. So, I call them seven habits. i found these things to be really helpful in, in clinical practice. The first one, really, is to appreciate that you do bring value to an organisation, even at this stage in your career. I say even because that's what we're told by our seniors, that, you know, we should perhaps wait a little bit more time, get some more experience and then apply it. But I've had the opportunity to to get involved with some really high-level stuff. So I'm doing seven-day services now. But before that, I had the opportunity to work on reports um, by the United Nations, the WHO, the UNODC. I've had the chance to present and speak at the House of Lords. I've worked in the Department of Health Policy. I've come straight out of sick form to go into medical school. I haven't had another job. I haven't really had any inside contacts. Mm. So there isn't anything particularly unique or special about how I've been able to do things. Mm. So there's no reason in my mind why we can't get other people at the early stage in their career getting involved in these things and I think it's really important that we do because if you're going to go on to eventually lead these organisations and drive these organisations I think it's absolutely integral to to that success that we get people at an early stage understanding how those organisations work because thinking about policy, thinking about systems-wide approaches is very different from thinking about clinical practice in the same way when we thought about clinical practice we have to change the way that we thought compared to when we started with a science based background Definitely. and it's about matching those those patterns and getting that from an early age and realizing the two going together and what that brings to the table and mm. um, as i said earlier you, you know medicine as a degree gives you two things it gives you the ability to to assess evidence really critically mm. it gives you the ability to communicate i can't think of a single organisation that wouldn't want those two skills they're absolutely central to every line That's of work and you, as a, as, you know, straight out of medical school, for example, have been doing that for six years. Mm. And that's an absolutely phenomenal skill that lots of organisations want to sap up. But we don't realise this. And that's the first thing that I want to challenge.
0: That's true. People tend to underestimate the skills that they have. And that decreases the amount of confidence that you have in trying to go for the posts that like yeah. you've kind of spoken about. Absolutely. Um, so what exactly were the first steps you made in, t- in getting involved in policy making and leadership? because I know a lot of medical students might want to and feel that they don't have enough confidence or they don't have enough experience.
1: The first step that I took is actually one of the other habits that I'm going to be talking about at the conference, which is making sure that you're aware of all the opportunities out there. And one of the ways of doing that is by signing up to lots and lots and lots of email bulletins. Um, At university, I signed up for a couple of organisations that were interested in broad policy making, not just healthcare. Um, and lots of emails that would come through, and I'd read through all of them, and one came up that was actually something about healthcare policy. It was an opportunity to talk about how we support developing countries in their healthcare policy agenda, and using British government foreign policy and development policy to shape that. And it was a piece of work that been commissioned by the House of Lords. Now, I I realised that obviously that is something that would daunt lots of people, but I guess in my mind, I thought if I was receiving this email, I was part of a cohort of people who they were interested in in getting involved. And I wrote in an application, I talked about the things that I was interested in, I talked about some of the stuff that I'd done in the past. Really small, simple things, you know, leading small teams, organising events, generic skills that would mean that I was very good at leading a team and bringing together um, evidence and, and doing the same sort of principles that you do in any kind of policy report or any data collection like that. Mm. And because of my medical background, I was invited to to take part, but also to, to actually to lead the group. And I ended up leading a group of individuals from a variety of backgrounds, including science backgrounds, um, economics backgrounds, politics backgrounds, um, and that was because I had a unique input as a as a medical student. So. What I would really say to people is, ultimately, you can only take up the opportunities that you apply for. And if you want to enhance your chances of seeing opportunities that are suited for you, try and sign up for as many bulletins as you can. If you're an undergraduate, find out if your university has a policy society or a think tank society. They will usually have something on healthcare, and that's a really easy way of getting involved that way. If you are a postgraduate, then there are a number of email bulletins from various organisations who will be looking to seek you in opportunities. So the Faculty of Medical Leadership is one, Um, the King's Fund produced lots of bulletins about things that are going on in healthcare, Um, the BMA, um, Royal Colleges will also have advertisements for things that are going on. There's literally a lot of stuff out there, but what you need to do is is make sure that you're aware of it, that, that you know what's going on, and then when you see an opportunity that you think suits you and that you're that target audience. So just go for it and see what happens.
0: Mm. Thank you for that. So you spoke about needing the skills to firstly apply for this, and you can get this through extracurriculars at university, leading the sports teams and stuff like that. What skills did you gain from actually participating in these policy schemes?
1: The main things that I learned wasn't actually around the, the subject that we were covering or even really about policy itself. The the real skill, as with many things, was about leading teams, working to deadlines, overcoming challenging problems. I think these are generic skills that you can learn in a number of endeavours, but those experiences that I had taught me how to do them in this particular setting. So, for example, the opportunity that we had where we got asked by two peers at the House of Lords to produce a paper on um, what British policy should be to help developing countries It's a huge question. And for us, for me, the real challenge for that was, how do you take such a difficult question and break it down into something that you can even begin to think of as a structure? How can you work out within that what the different components are and who within your team, understanding their skill sets and their knowledge, who's the best person to work on individual bits? How can you make best use of their time? When you've got conflict and disagreement, how do you resolve that but still getting everyone on board? Those were the real things that, that I learned the most from that. Um, it wasn't the knowledge, it wasn't really the insight into British foreign policy or you know, international development policy. The valuable lessons and the things that I've taken from that and been able to apply in other settings. The simple things about leading a team, about leading individuals, about bringing people together to film a consensus... And I think the really challenging thing is taking really complicated topics and breaking them down into simple, small, digestible bits.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's something, you know, everyone does on a a day-to-day basis in lots of different endeavours. If you're teaching medical students, you're taking a really difficult topic and you're trying to explain it to someone who doesn't really have much of an understanding of of this issue. If you're delivering a teaching programme, then you're actually trying to identify who is good at teaching this aspect of the course, who's good at teaching this aspect of the course, and you're bringing them together to deliver a whole programme. You're also, if people disagree about how you deliver the course, you're trying to reconcile conflict, you're trying to keep everyone on side, you've got deadlines to hold to. Those things apply in all sorts of different settings. The more you do these things, the more you realise that these skills, you can practise them in any domain. It's not about the topic itself. It's about learning how to cope with the uncertainty, learning how to cope with the teamwork, learning how to cope with the challenges, and applying that in whatever setting that you're thrown into.
0: Mm. And what kind of challenges did you come across?
1: If you're doing anything at a university level, for example, you are having to balance people who need to deliver an output for you, or you're, you're working with them to deliver an output. But also each of you has your own primary commitment which is your your degrees um, your you know applications for jobs all sorts of things and the, the biggest challenge i often find is is keeping to time when those things come into play um, and it's about a really good balance with understanding where people have other pressures that are really important to them and absolute integral and they can't neglect those and that's one of the things that I talk about the conference actually, you need to prioritize those essential things. You can't just pretend they don't exist, but also at the same time, making sure that you've got this culture within the team where when you set deadlines they're to be adhered to, they're not just a guidance. They're there for a reason. They're there to keep momentum. They're there because you know, you need to share the project with someone else. Mm. That's the really big challenge that I found. And it's something that I had to learn quite quickly with, with leading a team, um, and the way I ended up doing that was actually getting everyone to, to set their own deadlines and to try and negotiate themselves rather than me just setting something arbitrary and then realising that's completely incompatible with what it is that they've got on their plate at the moment or coming up in the future. Yeah. And it's something that I found really useful doing, doing things in the future because it gets people on side, it means you do the work well and actually you can plan really effectively the mm. outputs you're going to produce.
0: Yeah. I guess a big part of that is being self-aware of, one, your capabilities and your skills and how efficient you are and focus on those on the task at hand so that you can do things as efficiently and as quick as possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think being aware of yourself is, is a skill that's really underrated in leadership. I don't think we necessarily talk about it enough, but I've realised more and more that if you don't have that awareness, it's really difficult to organise a team and then it's really difficult to organise a larger organisation than... It's going to be impossible to organise a system. So we've now got, recently, uh, standards for leadership and management that the Faculty of Medical Leadership Management have published. And they have four domains. And the first domain is exactly about that. It's about yourself. It's about understanding yourself as a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that I would really encourage everyone to, to have a look at because it's really interesting for you to look at and to see what skills you currently have and what skills you still need to develop. And when you look at them, you realise these are skills you can develop in a whole range of different settings.
0: Definitely. And actually, on that topic, would you mind sharing firstly the two qualities leaders should have?
1: We talk about systems leaders a lot and I think there's a wide consensus that we need our leaders at the very highest level to understand everything within their system, so the healthcare system, how different Changes and reforms have an impact between organizations across an entire sector. Mm. I think increasingly, as we're seeing how politicized health is becoming, we need to go a step further than that. What we need to are really senior leaders to, to get an understanding of is how systems between themselves interplay. Healthcare has a huge implication on employment, education has a huge impl- implication on healthcare. Um, There are wider economic issues at play that interact in both ways with all of those three sectors. I, for example, worked on children's mental health policy at the Department of Health, and one of the things we had to consider was how the justice system interacts with that, because there's a huge overlap between how the justice system works and how we support people with with mental health problems. I think more and more, as we realise how all these systems are interconnected, we're going to need our senior leaders to have a very intimate understanding of how all of these systems interact and what the consequences of changes in one are going to be with the other but also understanding what's going on in other systems to understand why they may not be able to get the changes they want in their own I think that's something we need but I think it's something we need to instill from the very early stages of clinical training because it's not something you get overnight it's again a completely different way of thinking mm. um, So
0: what other policies do you think would, we would need to develop to be able to do that? to be able to see the connections between these between these different systems.
1: I think it's really important that we start teaching this at a medical school level. I, I think we can be a bit tokenistic when it comes to understanding the structure of healthcare, but I think we need to think about that a lot more. I think we need to think a lot more about social determinants of health and understand how all that systems interact. But the reason we need to, to emphasise more in the curricula is, is not because we need to learn more about it, but we need to give people a chance to look at it critically Mm. to to try and engage with the topic and understand not just what's going on but how they might change things which you do in other aspects of the curriculum if you give them enough time Mm. the second thing that i think would be really good to do is to try and encourage more interdisciplinary working so my role now at nhs improvement i've for the first time since medical school. I've had the chance to work with economists on stuff to do with healthcare. And that's not really something that would ever cross people's minds often in medical school or in training. But actually, these are a group of people who've got a really valuable set of skills for us to understand how the whole healthcare system's operating. Mm-hmm. Because they have knowledge and skills that we don't necessarily possess. And working together is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Policy projects that I've done in the past, the ones where we've involved people from other professions and other specialties and other top um, other subjects have been the ones where we've had really interesting insights into issues that I personally think as healthcare professionals on our own, we're not necessarily going to know the answer to. So those are the two things that I I think we can do. And that's perfectly within the possibility of us ourselves as individuals doing them. I think there needs to be a responsibility on behalf of educators to start encouraging that. And there's really simple ways of doing it. We can In postgraduate training, for example, when we're doing a quality improvement project, we can encourage working between nurses and doctors and other healthcare professionals. That happens really well in some some specialties. So paediatrics is a really good example where that happens all the time. But it's something we can try and roll out across the board. Mm -hmm. That's a cultural thing. It's going to take time. But I think if we start from the very early stage in the career, getting students across the different disciplines, learning and teaching each other, then we can go a long way to build that multidisciplinary work.
0: And also, in the spirit of being self-aware, would you mind sharing with us one quality you think is a strength of yours in being a leader and one weakness?
1: One of the things I've really valued from having a year out in a leadership role is the headspace and the time that you get to think about these questions. Mm. I realised that it's not really something we were ever really given time to sit and think properly about in day-to-day clinical practice or even during undergraduate studies the thing that i think that i'd like to work on a lot more this year is how you navigate situations where deadlines are slipping but you still want to continue momentum in a project so i'm currently working in in a national project with um stakeholders across the entire country. Pretty much every medical director in the country is a, is a stakeholder in the project that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it involves a data collection that happens uh, at least once a year. And it can take time for you to get the results and it can take time for you to put plans into place. And I remember I had a, a, a paper that I wanted to release for October and for various reasons it got delayed till November. Um, And the thing that I I learned what to do is to still keep up the momentum and the interest and to make sure that it's still relevant. And it's something that I'm working on. um, And it's something that I think hopefully by the end of this year, I'll become a a lot better at at doing. Mm. Because I think, you know, things won't always go to plan, but it's really important that while the timings might not be what you envisaged, still the impact of your work is the same as what you intended in the first place. And Mm. that's something that I'm going to try and work on a lot this year. So that's that one out of the way. Um, <laughs> I guess an aspect of my leadership style that I'm quite proud of is my ability to pick stuff up quite quickly and apply myself in settings that I've not necessarily been in already, but where I can learn lessons and tools that I've applied in other situations. Mm. I think that's quite useful because it means that if you're put into a project midway through, you can pick it up quite easily and that's great for organizational memory. It allows big projects to continue even though you've got a new individual in. And it's something that I've had to do this year. So when I'm working on the seven day services project, it's a very long piece of work. It's been going on for a number of years. It will continue for a number of years. So I've been picking up midway through from another fellow and had to try and as seamlessly as possible, continue that work to build on it, to build those relationships and make sure that momentum is carried on. One of the things that I talk about actually at the conference is how we can take lessons that we've already learnt from other responsibilities and apply them to new roles that we might think pushes ourselves out of our comfort zone, but actually is just taking the same lessons in a slightly different setting. So I'll give you an example. Lots of people talk about wanting to chair or lead national committees, student organisations, trainee organisations and say they've never had that experience before, that's perfectly valid. But then when you ask them, they'll still say that actually they've led teams and committees, they've chaired meetings, they've been very good at delivering outputs regularly with a team that's busy and has got other commitments and has to consider other stakeholders and other pressures. That's exactly the same as leading a national committee. It's just a different set of people. It's just a different set of problems. But the Mm -hmm. challenges are exactly the same. And actually, I find in those conversations, when you try and really boil down what it is that's stopping people from applying for for those roles it's just the word national seems a bit scary but actually all it really means is a different place it's just a different room The problems are exactly the same so one of the things that i'm going to be talking about uh, at the conference and um hopefully some people can take away is that actually there's a lot more skills and experience that we have than we probably think we do we just need to learn how we apply them in new settings Mm. No one was born into a national leadership position. No one was born into leading an organisation. They applied lessons they learned from other roles, other opportunities, and translated them into into more and more responsible ones.
0: Mm. And that's
1: something that we can all do, even from the very beginning of our career.
0: That's very true. And now to wrap up, which means that's quite nicely too. the cheesy parts of wisdom. What are your top three cheesy parts of wisdom that you'd have to give?
1: So if I had to give three pieces of advice on how to make the most of the leadership opportunities, but also to, to get involved in leadership. Tip number one would be to keep as informed as you can, by reading, by signing up to bulletins, by speaking to lots of people, going to talks. Um, that knowledge is gonna be really helpful for you to understand how the whole system works together. Um, And it may well really help you for you to identify the role that you want, but also or even to create your own roles I've had to do in the past. Lesson number two is to keep in touch with colleagues, friends, uh, seniors as well, who are involved or interested in leadership management. There's so much stuff out there, it's really difficult to keep track, but actually keeping in touch and understanding other people's experiences, what they felt about different opportunities, gives you a really good insight into not only what's out there, but also gives you a really unique perspective into other points of view and helps you challenge and shape your own opinions, which is absolutely essential for any leader who wants to go and lead, but ultimately make a difference and improve and change something better.
0: Mm.
1: And the third thing I'd really, really emphasise is to prioritise your own personal development. So by that I mean you need to obviously give good attention to your degree and your professional obligations and things that you have to do as a clinician, but actually think a lot more about what the leadership opportunities are giving you as a leader. Are they building you as a leader or are they just things that simply are there for you to provide a service to another organisation? We talk a lot about service delivery and training when it comes to clinical practice and how they're two very different things. I think that's equally applicable in leadership. There are roles where you're providing a service to an organisation, but you're not necessarily learning a lot as a leader about yourself. Mm. But there are also roles where it might not necessarily be the best thing in your CV, might not be a fancy position, but you as a leader are learning lots about how you operate and you're coming away with really valuable lessons. Mm. So those would be my three tips.
0: Let me try and echo all those back to you. So number one, be informed. Number two, keep in contact. And the third, prioritise personal development. Perfect. Once again, thank you, Arash, for your time and for your cheesy puzzle wisdom. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to the sponsors, the MDU, Mixed Academy. And if you guys have any questions, both for myself or Arash, don't hesitate to contact me on my Facebook or Twitter page or email, which you can find on my SoundCloud. Until next time, this was Kundai on Medic's